discussion of a letter written by a plural wife to her youngest daughter next on Polygamy. What love is this? I have a copy of a letter written in 1973 by a plural wife, someone I knew years ago. This letter was written as a faith-building tool to her youngest daughter. Now, both the mother and the daughter have passed on, so talking about this information will harm no one, and hopefully it will actually help many young girls who are being held emotionally and spiritually captive by their brainwashing indoctrination of the uh, polygamous religion. We'll read portions of the letter and then pause and make comment, of course, correcting religious error using biblical authority for these corrections. Grammar and spelling are from the original, but is edited when clarity is necessary. And Dorothy is with us again as co-host, and she'll read the first quote. Thanks, Doris. Thank you. My dear daughter, don't forget that the Lord sees all your good efforts, and don't forget that your guardian angel is making a written record of all your works, all your thoughts, all your intentions, and all your accomplishments. He or she, whichever it is, is making an hour-by-hour -hour account of all these things, even the instructions and teachings we are given. We must remember this in order to keep ourselves reminded of the good goals we know we should be working to obtain. Now, Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits that are sent by God to serve those who will inherit salvation. We were taught, growing up in polygamy, that people who were not worthy to go to Mormon's highest heaven, but were too good to go somewhere else, will become guardian angels when they die. Now, they are usually assigned to a family member, we were told. My younger brother died in his teens, and we were told that he had become a guardian angel of one of his younger siblings. That simply is not something you'll find in the Bible where God has revealed his truths to us. So her guardian angel was not watching and making a list and checking it twice. We have another quote. Satan tempts us and puts desires in our hearts that seem like it would sure be fun to do it. But in our heart, if we will admit it to ourselves, we will not want someone else, usually our parents, to know all that we're thinking of doing because they wouldn't approve of it. And right there, the devil cuts off our thoughts. Now, <laughs> what does she mean by that? The devil cuts off our thoughts. Yeah, he's got control. He, he, he has a lot of control okay. over, more control than he actually has, but then he does have as much control as we'll give him, too, in, in our lives. So uh, they teach that unquestionable obedience to the parents and, and polygamous leaders is a requirement of children raised in polygamy. Mm -hmm. So when they start thinking to disobey your parents, that's when, no, maybe I better obey my parents, then Satan will cut off your thinking. Mm. It's interesting about her comments, the devil manipulating our thoughts. The Bible doesn't say that. However, it doesn't say that he takes us into the temptation or into the sin. James 1, 14 and 15 says that we are enticed and tempted by our own desires. And that leads us into sin. The devil can tempt, but he cannot make us do wrong. We have our next quote. The devil doesn't want our own good judgment to rule over his temptation. If he can get us to follow enough of his temptations, we won't have any time left in which to earn our ticket into heaven by our own good works. And when life is over, who's going to reward us for our accomplishments? The Lord for the works we did for him and the devil for the works we did for him. What? <laughs> what? 
what? We're, we're going to get rewards from the devil for the works we did for him? The word shouldn't be and. It should be or. <laughs> it's, it's like. Yeah, there, there's. It just isn't true. It's mind-boggling, right. you know, what they've well, got in there. But it just plain untrue. isn't true. <laughs> and anyone who's familiar with our discussions on on our programs will know that we can't let those remarks pass <laughs> by without showing from the Bible that they are heretical. Now she said, "Quote: They, meaning the polygamous family, are the kind of people whose judgment will not allow the devil's temptations to rule over them." Okay, now she's talking about polygamous families, mm -hmm. but that's precisely what polygamy is, a temptation of the devil. The New Testament calls it doctrines of demons. Teaching that spiritual authorized adultery buys a ticket to heaven is false teaching. She wrote that they were the kinds of people who don't fall for the devil's manipulations, but they do what they have. Yet the Bible explains very clearly that Jesus came to rescue sinners. Jesus saved sinners, not the self-righteous polygamous people. Now, we need to dissect her comments where she said this. Okay, here's the comment. We won't have any time left in which to earn our ticket into heaven by our own good works. And when life is over, who's going to reward us for our accomplishments? The Lord for the works we did for him and the devil for the works we did for him. Now, so they take turns giving rewards? <laughs> if you do so much for the devil, you get this much from him. And if you get... A we, of course, that's not biblical. We, we know that is far from the truth. We, we were taught that on Judgment Day, all of our deeds would be weighed, our bad deeds mm -hmm. on one side of the scale and our good deeds on the other, and, and we would be rewarded or punished accordingly. But that's not what the Bible teaches. If you had more good works, you go to heaven. If you had more bad works, you go to hell, you know, that kind of thing. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible teaches that we can know right here and right now we do or we don't have eternal life. And if you don't know, you can find out. So 1 John 5, 12 and 13 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that lovely? You know, we are not judged on the basis of the good and the bad weighed against right. each other. Jesus said, you know, if you believe in me, you've passed out of judgment into life. That's right. Passed out of judgment. Our judgment was at the cross. Jesus took our judgment. That's right. Judgment happened, deeds. but yeah. it happened at the cross and he exactly took it. Exactly right. It's impossible to earn our ticket into heaven. And she made a point of making sure that we earn our ticket into heaven. And we've got more about that mm. Mm -hmm. as we go on into the letter. Uh, we can't earn a ticket in heaven. It's all about Jesus. He alone is the Savior. We want to quote again from the Gospel of John. So when they said to him, this is John 6, 28 and 29, and I love this passage. When they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. If polygamy is required, why isn't it right. in there? That's right. Why didn't he answer the question fully? If, yeah, it is. It's one of my favorite verses. The, the word believe means, if you get in a dictionary, Bible dictionary, the word believe means to trust explicitly and exclusively to re fully rely upon. You cannot trust your own good works and Jesus at the same time. It's one or the other, not both. 
She said in her letter that we must earn our ticket to heaven. But Ephesians tells us the opposite is true. Ephesians 2.5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then a little bit later in the same passage, He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not a result of works. And that's exactly opposite of what the polygamist and Mormonism teaches. Grace, not works. Grace through faith in Jesus alone for our salvation. And polygamists and all of Mormonism um, deny that, that it's by grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone. And by that denial, they do not consider themselves uh, worthy of God's gift of salvation. She goes on like this in the letter. Now, if we get half our pay from one master and half our pay from the other master, I wonder if we're going to have enough to buy the key to unlock the gate that lets us into heaven. We are told this is a very expensive key, but it is such a valuable person who owns one that the Lord will have to spend all eternity paying wages back to the person who gets one of those keys. And I can't think of anything that could be better than that. Now, this is full of doctrinal I, error. I'm just so confused by that. I don't quite know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. It's, it's, it's head-scratching. Uh, it's so heretical. All of it is, is wrong. It's not what, what God teaches us in the Bible. She's clearly saying that we can serve two masters, that both masters will be paying the same servant, each of them owing us a debt. But Jesus said, we cannot serve two masters. It's safe to, 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 to choose to believe what Jesus said before we believe what someone else says, because Jesus alone is the truth. He's the one we go to to get these truths. She said, a very expensive key opens the gate that leads us into heaven. That's not what God's testimony tells us that opens the gates to heaven. The cost of the key to heaven for polygamists is to live polygamy. Obey your leaders. Obey anyone who is above you and serve and be faithful to the polygamy group. That's the cost of their ticket to be open, to open up heaven's gate. Yes, the key to heaven's gate was very expensive. It cost us much more than any person can ever pay. But Jesus paid the cost for that ticket, and he did it on the cross 2,000 years ago. What can any person add to what Jesus already did perfectly? And then she said, is such a valuable person who owns the key that the Lord will have to spend all eternity paying wages back to the person who gets one of those keys. That's mind-boggling. But I grew up believing it myself that that's the way it was, uh, except I was never taught that I was a valuable person because I was always reminded what a great and wicked sinner I was. So God was always angry with me and found no value in me. But she got it backwards and upside down. We're saved by grace, not by works. And it is we who will spend eternity being grateful to God, worshiping and praising and serving God because of what He did on the cross to save us. God does not owe us anything, and He never will. We are the ones who owe Him. He is not indebted to anyone. And a very important concept is the word wages. Biblically, wages are only paid to unrepentant sinners. It goes like this. Romans 6.23 
for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's a gift or there's wages. So you want to earn something, <laughs> it's going to come to you because you've earned it through your sin, not because that's right. of doing good enough to win God's favor. And that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. It's not good. Well, the wages of sin is what? It's death. death. Uh-huh. That's what you've earned. That's, that's what you've worked for. Yeah. So we. It, so the, 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 it's just like Jesus said, there's a wide road to right. destruction and right. a narrow road that leads to life. One road is... Uh, the narrow road is a gift. The wide road is the wages. The same concept in both ideas. And the bi- entire Bible teaches that the gate to heaven is opened only by grace through faith in the only Savior. There's only one key, and that key is a person, Jesus our Lord. The gospel means good news, and that good news is Jesus. As for me, I'd rather take the free gift than the wages <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't <we laughs> because all? the gift is heaven and the wages is repayment required for sin. Next, she brings in the marriage factor. Of course, she's a plural wife uh, and that is central to all Mormonism. Plural marriage for the fundamentalists and temple marriage for the LDS member. In both ca- cases, marriage is essential. Besides, how much fun will we have forever after if we lose our husband as soon as death separates us? If we don't follow the Lord's will in marriage, he will not accept that marriage and cannot find a place for us in heaven unless we've done it his way and married the one he says to. Marriage is the one main thing in life that decides where we go when this life is over. So it's a mighty serious decision to make. So where's Jesus? Really? Marriage is the one thing that yes. decides our eternal fate. Yes. <laughs> so important. And who we marry is big in the polygamy groups, mm-hmm. big. Because the who is always a man who already has many wives. That's the who. Yeah. You have to do that. Um, they made marriage into the Savior. Both the LDS Church has done that, as well as the polygamy groups. Not only marriage, but who we marry. She had in mind, of course, a man who was already married with several wives. I don't know if she had a man picked out, a married man picked out for this girl or not, but that's what she's teaching. She taught um, uh, polygamy, of course, is the Savior. But the Bible teaches, and Jesus himself taught, that being single didn't matter. In many cases, being single was a blessing, which allowed the believer more freedom to serve God. If marriage was so necessary, why didn't Jesus, the Savior, say so? We continue from the letter. It's real hard to imagine how long eternity is going to last. It's not got any end. Time goes on forever, and we will go on forever too, either with God or with Satan. That's our decision to make. We can't just decide we'll go with God and then no matter what we do, we'll be with Him. It don't work that way. Every moment of every day, we have that decision to make. None of us is going to sit down and say, I've decided to follow Satan. And he knows we won't. So if he gets us to follow him, it's got to be so clever that he makes us think he's the Lord and gets us to believe it's okay to do the wrong thing if we don't get found out. What's interesting is they are so deceived, they're following his teachings. Well, yeah, but there's this it. teeny sliver of truth in there, right? Because Satan does present himself, the Bible says, as an angel of light yep. in order to deceive. Exactly. He can look pretty appealing. Yeah, yeah. And and t- teaching, twisting the truth mm-hmm. to make it sound truthful right. is a very, very effective tool that he uses. And the strange thing about these teachings is that 
Mormonism has made their members to believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers from the same mother and family, the same family that they gave birth to him in heaven by the same mother and father God. She's correct in saying that the devil is clever because he is. He's smarter than any of us, uh, but he's not more clever than God. And God, through the Bible, has made us aware of Satan's schemes. And one of them is appearing like an angel of light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're grateful to God for giving us his word so that we can test what false prophets and false religions tell us about him and about the devil. And what polygamists teach about them is all wrong. No, there's more. And when our judgment day comes to see if we can buy the key to unlock that gate, we will have to answer for all the cheating, lying, stealing, arguing, and whatever else we did that Satan told us to do. If we've got a true repentance recorded in that book, we'll get a double reward for that effort, and we can be sure we'll have some wages left over after our key is paid for. We might get by with these dishonest acts for a while here, but the Lord is going to give us every chance He can to overcome and repent of them, and we can be sure that when that happens, we will wish we'd never done any of those kinds of things. No grace, no forgiveness, no Jesus. Uh, Do you see how it's all upon the backs of the people to earn, Mm -hmm. to earn their salvation? But there's that little teaser that if you do enough and do it well enough, you're going to have some of your wages left over to do what with? To just enjoy your, your wages in heaven? What does that mean? I really don't know what that means in in that context. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. Now, but, but biblically, if we remember that wages is payment for unrepentant right. sin, right. then it's pretty devastating. <laughs> uh, but that's not what she's referring to because no. she, she doesn't realize that or believe it. No, right? she seems to be talking about some kind of a reward that we're going to get after the key is paid for. Yeah, like, there's like some Like we get over. change back. <laughs> and that again, yeah, I have no idea what we would use it for. They might, maybe they have a grocery store in heaven. <laughs> In their heaven, I don't know. Uh, but we have to remember wages is what we get for unrepentant sin, and that's death, eternal. Well, wages is what you get for what you earn. Right, right? for what you and earn. But we don't says, earn eternal life. If you want to earn anything from God, you're going to get what you are what trying you to earn, earn right. which comes out of your sin. It's death. And you don't earn a gift. A gift comes, no. a gift comes some, and the right. forgiveness, gift and, and salvation is, is a gift from God. The believer's judgment was completed on the cross. As we said, it was there that Jesus purchased the ticket to heaven or the key to heaven for all who will place their faith in him exclusively. And God doesn't require double payment (laughs) for sin. Those who reject Jesus' gift of salvation by grace alone are already on the road to perish. And we quote what Jesus himself said about that. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then just a sentence later in verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Condemned already. Mm-hmm. Already. Jesus comes in to rescue us from that condemnation. We're already in, uh, in that until Jesus saves us. Notice that Jesus is required, not good works. Notice it's believer perish. No works, no keys to heaven's gate. No wages to be paid for good works. None of these concepts are here. It's all by faith in the only Savior. 
If your good works would sa- could save you, you would be your own savior. <laughs> and we know that's impossible. If polygamy could even help a tiny bit to be save you, it nullifies what Jesus did on the cross. He wouldn't have had to die on the cross if all these things could save us. John 3.18 tells us that those who do not believe are already condemned. He came to rescue us from that condemnation. He alone is the way, and He alone is the key to open heaven's gate. Next, she proceeds to a commandment of God that they all rely upon, but for a different and heretical purpose. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. In back of every commandment, there's a penalty for breaking it. So let's not stack up those penalties against us. So there's that stacking up thing, yeah. you know, that, that we talked about before. So so what is wrong with this? Well, it, it's, it's a threat that they use against those who reject their parents' polygamy. And it's been used on me many, many times. I've been accused of not honoring my parents by rejecting their polygamous beliefs. Now, the commandment itself is not the problem. Of course it's not, because God gave it to honor our parents. But honoring our parents does not include following them on the broad road to destruction. We can honorably disagree with them. We are to honor and obey God first and foremost. Hear this one. This is Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. No polygamy in there. No marriage is mentioned in there. The first and the greatest commandment. Notice it's to love God. It is not to honor our parents. It is not to live polygamy. It is not to give your life and your money to a polygamy group. And if you love God, if we love God, we will search his word for truth, testing everything that we're taught. And Jesus said, to be worthy of him, we must reject our mother and father and everything else, if necessary, to follow him. We should honor our parents, but we can honorably disagree with them and follow Jesus. Next, she brings in the belief that staying in the Kingston polygamy group, it's also known as the order, is essential to eternal joy because it's the kingdom of God. We quote, Remember this, if you spend your thoughts trying to find every way there is to prove the order is the kingdom of God, you'll find so many new ways. Your inner eyes will see very clearly the great joy there is, knowing it's here, it's ours, and no one can take it from us. God chose us, and He approves of us. Not all the things we do pleases Him, but He keeps hoping we'll quit doing those things and do what He approves of so He can keep us. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so it sad. Really- really is. God is a wimp. I know <laughs> it. I know it. <laughs> he keeps hoping that maybe he can keep us. Sitting up in heaven with the cross fingers, you know, hoping we'll change. But they have no clue what God has done for us. Uh, God is not in heaven 
up there watching and hoping and waiting with cross fingers that will not displeasing. Our salvation is fully dependent on him alone. He even gives us the power and the faith and the grace to turn to him for salvation. And we've got a couple of verses here to prove that statement as well. Oh, so these are awesome so beautiful. This is God. not the only place where right. this promise shows up in Ezekiel 36, uh, 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice the I wills. God I will, I will. It. He transforms us oh. by giving us his own spirit. That's his gift. Mm. That's a gift. That's an amazing it's gift. It's all of God. He gives us the new heart. He fills us with his soul. And then he empowers us and gives us the desire to obey him. It's all of God. We don't and we can't do it in and of ourselves. We need him to do it in us. That event is called being born again. Many spiritual, uh, it makes us spiritually alive through the work and the power done by the Spirit of God. And we have another verse about this. This is Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He begins a good work. He, he finishes what he begins. And he will see it through. He'll finish it, God yeah. Will do it. No, and, and we do have troubles and difficulties, mm -hmm. uh, but he sees us through it. He does. He blesses us. Um, he's a great and awesome, loving God, and he always completes his work. And it's not dependent on our works and certainly not on our polygamy. She closes her letter with an obligation that she used to manipulate her daughter to faithfulness to the polygamous religion. You have been such a comfort to me all your life, so very special to me. I take great joy in watching you become a woman to bring forth my grandchildren into this work so they too can have these same blessings too. So she's placing obligation on her daughter to marry and live a miserable life like she lived in polygamy and have children mm -hmm. who will also faithfully serve the polygamy group. Well, and when I read this quote, it occurred to me that that whole expression to bring forth, it, she's talking about the preexistence. Mm -hmm. You have to do your oh, yeah. job in That's order right. to bring those, those babies, babies from wherever they are, bring them forth. That's true. My grandchildren. That's true. That's it's true. just another layer on the bondage. And, and another one is they call it the work. Mm -hmm. And doctrinally, there's no works involved in salvation, but that's yeah. what they are, is the work. So our question is, where is Jesus in all this? She says the Lord and all this, but she never mentions Jesus or his, his death on the cross or the blood he or shed. Or what his or, part is, yeah, which exactly. he so freely states, I love you, I give you, yeah. just come. Mm believe. Yeah. You know, this gives us deeper reasons of prayer to pray mm -hmm. for the polygamous people that they will come to understand, and the LDS people, to come and understand Jesus alone is our salvation. Nothing, no one else, no church, nothing will do it because Jesus already did it. Thanks, Dorothy. Thank Thanks you. for letting me be here, Doris. You know, the original tempter of mankind was in the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent. The last book of the Bible, he's referred to as a dragon, leading the whole world astray. And this is serious. 
It's so sad to see anyone embrace religious beliefs that will not save them, but instead guarantees they will perish. It's especially sad when family and loved ones refuse to look at biblical truths, but in fact reject them. It's wrong to believe in and embrace a religious system because it's the faith of your parents. Jesus said, we are not worthy of him if we consider our parents more important than he is. If you claim to believe in Jesus, then you'd better believe what he said, everything that he said. And we pray that polygamists will want the truth more than they want polygamy or their polygamous family, because Jesus is worth it. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.